Good morning, people. Good morning, church. You can't really make it up that I'm from Berkeley High, class of 79, and he's from Kansas City. All means all. That is right. That is right. And it's all right not to root for anyone. Um, but we all have gotten word that Taylor Swift has made it to Las Vegas. Amen. My favorite joke that I saw on the internet this week was uh, one of those memes that said, me, why, teacher, will I ever worry about math uh, story problems? And also me, if Taylor Swift travels in an airplane at this amount of time. So it's a good, good day to have fun. Yeah, yeah. We are grateful to be together as God's people on this fun day. We are also grateful for the way sports does bring, it, sports has a lot of problems, we are clear about this, um, but it also has some giftedness in bringing us together in having fun is a healthy thing to do and laughing is a healthy thing to do. We're gonna move into worship this morning with a song that is also an emotion. It's called longing, the longing. Um, it's one of my favorite words and it's one of the ways that I think God speaks to us in our longing. So I invite you to rise in body or spirit as we sing together.
I am the gentle light, the stars at night, the morning bright. I am the still, strong voice, the living choice, the hearts rejoice. And if you follow me, I'll be with you for all eternity. I will hold on to you, my love will set you free. I am forever love, light from above, the peaceful dove. I am your loving friend, your heart I tend until the end. And if you follow me, I'll be with you for all eternity. I will hold on to you. My love will set you free. Another side of town Breaking down the walls of silence Lifting shadows from your mind Placing back the missing mirrors That before you couldn't find Filling mysteries of emptiness Yesterday left behind And we all know it's better Yesterday has passed Now let's all start living For the one that's gonna last will stay and remain when your children see the answers that you saw the same when the clouds have all gone there will be no more rain and the beauty of all things is uncovered again and we all know it's better yesterday
<sighs> I need to catch my breath. I was just running from the other side. I think it's all about the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Getting ready for it. <sighs> Welcome. My name is Sarneet Prasad, and I'm the Sunday morning coordinator here at the table. We welcome those online at table.life. Kara is our host today, and thank you, Kara. Today's bulletin is available with a QR code, those in the century, and a link will be shared, those online. If you would like to learn more about our community of faith, please go to our website, thetableumc.org, and complete an online connect card. We are collecting non-perishable food items to share with our neighbors through South Sacramento Interfaith Partnership, SSIP, Food Closet. If you brought something to share, please place your item in the back of the century. Please note, the season of Lent begins next week. We will have three opportunities on Ash Wednesday. Firstly, we'll gather here at the century and also online for Ash Wednesday at 7 a.m. in the morning. For those unable to join in the morning, we'll also offer simple, beautiful Ash Wednesday ritual at 5 p.m. in the evening. The 5 p.m. Ash Wednesday gathering will last around 30 minutes. For those in the Sacramento, we'll have it at Table Farm at 5 p.m. For those in Yellow County, we'll be in Grace Garden at 5 p.m. as well. Grace Garden is located in the back of Davis UMC Church. We'll hope you'll join us for one of our Ash Wednesday's offering, and it, which happens to be February 14th, the Valentine's Day. Beautiful, right? Giving love to love. <laughs> when you feel ready to connect with others, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith, which is designed to help newcomers learn more about our table. Our next Growing in Faith series in, is in Davis, is full, but our co-pastors will lead a six-week Growing in Faith series here at the table beginning on Tuesday, March 12th. Please sign up today if you would like to connect with others. Um, this is something that I noticed this morning. It's like an annual ritual, the interfaith um, non-perishable food item and Deirdre and Judy reversing their car. I saw that last year and I saw this today and I was like, ah, I'm living this beautiful moment. Get to see that. <laughs> and I love you all. And I love you, Deirdre and Judy. <laughs> I invite you to stand either in body or in spirit as we continue to move in worship with our music team sharing. Tell me what kind of man Jesus is. Wind. And the wind stood still, yeah Tell me 
Welcome to the table on this Super Bowl Sunday. My name is Bob Martinez, and at this time, I want to invite our children to move from their sanctuary to their godly play sanctuaries as our musicians help us with a little walking music. I remind families that we receive an offering in godly play to support Mustard Seed School, which is a Montessori-based school for children who are part of families that are unfortunately experiencing homelessness. We also have loving and professional care for our youngest children just down the hall throughout worship and godly play takes place upstairs and is designed for children in elementary school, kinder through the sixth grade. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, ninth chapter, and I'll be sharing from the New Revised Standard Version. And of course, as always, we invite you to follow along. Now six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. 
and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and the other for Elijah. He really did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, there came a voice. This is my child, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. As our musicians move down, I'll invite us into a spirit of prayer. God, may the depth of your love stir within our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in our souls. May the words of my mouth be in alignment with your love for the world. May the stirrings of our hearts be led ever deeper into the mystery of your love. We offer this time in your creative names and in your many ways. Amen. No records actually exist to prove that Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis ever met, or at least not when the 83-year-old founder of psychoanalysis was nearing the end of his life. But a new film called Freud's Last Session imagines their encounter. It takes place mostly in Freud's study. It stars Anthony Hopkins as Freud and Matthew Good as C.S. Lewis. I was able to see the film just a couple of weeks ago. It was playing in Natomas, and we had imagined, we didn't really realize that today was Super Bowl Sunday. What we really honestly imagined was we would have worship, and then we would go to a film, and we would have deep conversation about this back and forth between Freud and Lewis. And then we realized that it was Super Bowl Sunday, and we thought, well, no one's going to want to go with us. I wouldn't want to go with us. <laughs> and then we also realized that for some odd reason, the film was here for a couple of days, and now it's not here anymore. And so we've been refreshing online to figure out when is this either going to come back to Sacramento or be released by stream, and we have no idea. So we had the best of intentions that today was going to connect with this cultural moment that was not the little football game. And now what we're hoping is that this story will meet you right where you are. And maybe for those that want to go see this film down the road would give you a framework that you could take in that for your own deepening conversation. Freud and Lewis. It sounds to me at least like a clash of 20th century intellectual titans. An aging Austrian atheist Jewish man who believed at his core that God was once necessary, but God is an illusion that ought to be set aside in favor of reason and science, versus a once-atheist Irish Christian apologist 
who came to faith years after witnessing firsthand for himself the trauma of war, experiencing his own mother's death. Lewis reconsiders his own atheism and comes to embrace Christianity at the age of 33 in conversation with Tolkien and others, and then goes on to open up his own home to children evacuees in London from the war. The film could have pitted these two giants against one another, a la the American debate stage that we've all become so familiar with. But instead of a winner-take-all debate, Freud's last session, the film which prior to the film it was actually a play, invites viewers, at least viewers with eyes to see, into a much deeper and more profound, I would suggest, reflection. The film is unmistakably set amid the horrors of war from the very first moment. And it moves back and forth from this imagined encounter between Freud and Lewis. It takes place in Freud's parlor, but it goes back and forth into the memories of both men, troubled pasts, family conflicts, deep suffering, Instead of a debate stage, the film centers around Freud's couch. The couch of transformation, Freud calls it. The center of this whole film, I would say, is that couch. The center of Mark's gospel is not a couch, but it is a mountain. And that's the story we come to today in our reading that's assigned to the global Christian church. We come to the mountain in Mark 9, the very middle of Mark's gospel. And I would suggest that this mountain functions in the gospel of Mark something like the couch in this 20th century encounter. We are finding our way now to the end of what the church calls the season of epiphany. And epiphany is a word that literally just means showing forth. We're in this season because over these last weeks we've been seen, or Jesus as a prophet has been shown forth. And then today that showing forth culminates not just in Jesus as prophet, but as God's beloved child. So we find ourselves today in the middle, not on the couch, but on the mountain. In this case, what's likely the Mount, Mount Hermon, the midway point. We've spent eight chapters climbing one side of this mountain. Behind us now are the things we were mostly singing about, the stories of Jesus' healing, Jesus' liberating ministry. And now as we look down from the middle of this gospel, from the high point of this mountain, we see on the other side a descent toward the cross. Today in the church, around the world, we call this day Transfiguration Sunday. It is the last Sunday before the church turns from this green growing time toward the purple and the mystery of Lent, which begins as Sarnit named on Wednesday. Reverend Dr. Matthew Meyer Bolton writes this, here atop Mount Hermon, we can survey the 40 days ahead, take a deep breath, and remember that the journey through ashes and sorrow is never for its own sake. It's for the sake of what comes next. In a word, it's for the sake of transfiguration, a radiant new life, 
and a dazzling new world. I did learn this week that in some Western Christian traditions, instead of calling today Transfiguration Sunday, this was brand new to me, I had never known this, some Western Christian traditions call today Quinquingosimo Sunday. It just rolls off the tongue. No wonder we don't say that. And I actually have no idea how to say that word, so I just butchered it, I'm sure. Its Latin root, though, means 50 days, like 50 days toward Easter, and it's known as a meat-eating feast before Lent, which I think seems so appropriate for today, the home of slow-cooked barbecue, none other than my own hometown of Kansas City. We happen to have a football team, and we're playing this afternoon against another team that will also wear red. So I think it's appropriate that we acknowledge the roots of this meat-eating celebration. In our house, those that are um, cheering for Kansas City are invited to, invited to bring barbecue or beer, and then those for the other red team are invited to bring plant-based things. Um, cheeses. Kansas City versus Northern California. But seriously, like, what actually happened up on that mountain? What actually happened in this story that Bob shared? This story that's at the midway point in Mark's gospel. To be sure, it defies logic. It defies logic. At the heart of this story, it seems to me, is a mysterious experience which may simultaneously point the disciples or followers into seeing Jesus themselves in an incandescent Jesus and hearing Hearing, a hearing that actually echoes a story at the beginning of Mark's gospel, that story of Jesus moving into the River Jordan and being baptized, you may remember as Mark's gospel starts, we hear from the clouds above, proclaimed over Jesus, to Jesus, you are my beloved. That's the beginning of Mark's gospel. Here at the midway point, a similar movement happens, Except this time, we hear from that cloud, this is my beloved. The word starts to Jesus, you are my beloved. And now, finally, as we've ascended to the high point of this mountain, maybe the disciples are ready to hear, this is my beloved. And I would suggest that at this midway point, the transfiguration story is, is both about Jesus' belovedness and also about the turn that this makes toward the suffering and the death that one scholar says would seem to be, quote, unthinkable, desecrating defeat, but is actually a step toward a dramatic, subversive victory. You are my beloved. This is my beloved. This moment in Mark's gospel could be considered a fulcrum, a transition, a pivot. And the question of whether Jesus was God's beloved, along with raw reflections on suffering and death, the same movement that Jesus will make, this was also the fulcrum that was at play between Freud and Lewis in their imagined conversation. Jesus, I want to be clear, doesn't triumph over Moses and Elijah in this moment. He doesn't take the debate stage by himself. He doesn't refuse to go unless he's the only one there. 
Instead, these titans are in it together on the Mount of Transfiguration. Perhaps not unlike how we witness Freud and Lewis in it together on the couch of transformation. Throughout the film, we go back and forth from each man seated on the couch, going into those deeper places. And it's on that very couch that the line between atheist and theist seems to blur. And we witness a deeply human wrestling with ultimate reality, with life. Matthew Good, who plays C.S. Lewis, was asked in an interview, what do you think about the premise of Freud and Lewis having a discussion together? Is this how the two men would have interacted had they met? And the actor responds with this. I know that some people will feel like it should have been more heated and shouty, but one thing I'm proud about is that the film didn't become that. It's nuanced and complicated and less about point scoring. And it's about a man who's at the end of his life who is pretty angry about the pain that he's had to endure. And he's lined C.S. Lewis up like a bullseye. And he's a human dart flying at it. And that was Lewis's job. To parry these barbs that are sent his way. We all know that Jesus existed. That's irrefutable. But neither man can prove or disprove whether he was the child of God. And it's actually what unites them. And that's the beauty of faith. So I think that's exactly how it would have gone. I think they've had a really, they would have had a really great relationship. Later, Matthew Good was asked about how his study of C.S. Lewis in preparation for the film changed him as a person. And he responded brilliantly, what I did love is he's having his faith tested. And it was an exercise in biting his lip as being respectful towards someone who's clearly dying and is his elder. And what you have is humanity laid bare. Change happens from conversations at our own kitchen tables, so hopefully people will go home and talk about it. I love the very humanizing moments that they have that aren't during talk or debate, but while helping each other through pain and suffering. Helping each other through the very descent down the other side of mountain that we are called for transfiguration marks the point in Mark's gospel when humanity is laid bare. And followers of Jesus are invited to know and experience the mystery and the power of God as we look down toward the descent into the pain and the hurt, the suffering that is the way of the cross. The story ends with Jesus telling his followers to hold silence, stay curious, Hold the mystery of this moment. Don't rush ahead, you might imagine. And in the film, C.S. Lewis tells the story of his own receiving a special birthday gift from his brother when he was away at boarding school. Inside this gift is a forest that he's created out of a biscuit box. So it's this biscuit box. He's created a forest inside of it, the brother has. You see a deer figurine, moss, and, and twigs, tiny stones, and flowers. A whole forest. And Lewis says this. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I still do. The moment I saw it, it created a yearning, a longing I never felt before. 
I called that feeling joy, and I still do. And Freud asks, and this joy you in equate with an inherent desire for a creator? Yes, says Lewis. And Freud meets him in that moment. You were led to God by a biscuit tin. Our deepest cravings are never satisfied or even identified. In German, we call it Zinsucht, longing. All my years, says Freud, I have felt this. They've responded in sharply contrasting ways to who Jesus is, yet longing is within both. C.S. Lewis says, my idea of God is constantly changing. God shatters it again and again. Still, I feel the world is crowded with God. God is everywhere incognito. And the incognito, it's hard to penetrate. The real struggle is trying to keep trying to come awake and to stay awake. Freud dismisses the notion. One of us is a fool. If you are right, you will be able to tell me so. If I am right, neither of us will ever know. Here's a brief reflection by the director of the film, Matt Brown, along with Anthony Hopkins, who plays Freud. Let's watch. It's a film that I didn't want to tell in a linear way. You know, one of the things that was developed was embracing this idea of a dream film in a way that was um, organic to actually Freud and Lewis's writings. I mean, Freud spent his whole life on dreams, and Lewis was, along with Tolkien and others, were world-building uh, fantasy. This is a film about tolerance in a lot of ways because it bears such striking parallels to what's going on in the world right now. Nobody compromises anymore, and that's the deadly part of our present society. I mean, that's what really drew me to the project. Uh, I'll stay with you until someone comes. I want you to go, please. Don't talk. You'd like that, wouldn't you? No more talk. <laughs> Freud seated there on his own couch of transformation. And looking up to him is the younger C.S. Lewis. Don't talk, Lewis says to him. Freud responds, you'd like that, wouldn't you? No more talk. Maybe you noticed it. The two of them laugh. And then the elder Freud reaches and touches the shoulder of the younger Lewis. The director calls this tolerance. But it seems something deeper to me than tolerance. The scene, and perhaps the film itself, uses memories to share a glimpse into the deep trauma which lives inside the bones of both of these intellectual titans. In one scene, they leave the couch as sirens blare outside that there's an air raid that's coming. And these two, the Austrian atheist and the converted Irish um, person of faith, go with the whole town into a church to take shelter. And it's inside the church walls that the Christian, Lewis, is overwhelmed. Not by the church, but by the sirens and the sounds, the PTSD 
of being in war, and he just collapses. And you feel the trauma inside of his body. And the self-proclaimed atheist, Freud, inside those church walls, holds him and guides him through a meditation to just breathe and to come back into this moment. It's this raw vulnerability, this suffering, that we seem invited to something that's way deeper than tolerance. We seem to witness how the vulnerability and openness, the deep curiosity of these two intellectual titans that we imagine must be so against one another that they could never be in it together, we see profound human transformation. Both, I would suggest, Lewis and Freud are changed by the experience. And perhaps that's something like how we are called to be changed, transformed, not on the couch of transformation, but atop the Mount of Hermon. To enter ourselves into whatever suffering we bring with us into our own bodies and to come through together with others to the other side of the cross. I was in a class just about a week and a half ago with James Finley. James Finley is one of the instructors at the Center for Action and Contemplation. We were using some of their work in our last worship series. And I've read some of Finley, but this is my first time to be in a class with him. And it's online, so there's lots of us that are in the class. And he shared uh, something that has stayed with me. I've come back to it over and over and over. And they then shared the recording of it. And I've gone back to the recording just to try to grapple with the depth of what he's saying. And I think it speaks into this moment, so I want to try to share it, and I hope it'll be in a way that you might hear. Finley shared this in our session. He says, Rollo May, the existential psychotherapist, says that the neurosis of Freud's age was repressed sexuality. Finley suggests that's hardly the neurosis of our age. I think the neurosis of our age is the fear of discovering that we're pretending that we're less than we are. And if we realize that we're less than we are, we might have to stand up and be ourselves which means to face ourselves as we are with courage, integrity, patience, love. And he then invited us, and I'll invite you now, what if right now we would all close our eyes? And with our eyes closed, we'd be interiorly awakened, such that when we opened our eyes, we'd see through our own awakened eyes what Jesus saw in all that Jesus saw. What would we see? We'd see God because Jesus saw God in all that he saw. And when you read the Gospels in a prayerful way, what's amazing, it doesn't matter what Jesus saw, whether Jesus saw the joy of those gathered at a wedding or the sorrow of those gathered at a burial of a loved one, whether Jesus saw his own mother or a prostitute, whether Jesus saw his disciples or his executioners, whether Jesus saw a flower or a bird, Jesus saw God 
in all that he saw. And Jesus said, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You don't see the God-given, godly nature of yourself welling up the preciousness of you. You. And not seeing that, not seeing that the blind spot of your preciousness and attributing authority to what's wrong with you instead of authority to the infinite love that's in love with you as you are, you act that blindness out by the way you treat yourself and the way you treat other people. So the prayer is, Lord, that I might see. Lord, that I might learn to see my own awakened eyes, your abyss-like love for me, transcending my brokenness, riven through my brokenness, transforming me in my brokenness and in my preciousness. And everyone that I see, help me to see, Lord, that I might too see means to interiorly realize within oneself. What a transformation that would be. For us to truly see as Jesus saw, as God sees. Freud's last session ends with what I find to be an image of transfiguration. It's a mysterious visual fantasy. There you see just the still glimpse of it. That's C.S. Lewis walking in the forest. You might remember the forest that his brother gave to him. Light shining around him. The mystery of all of the light and the textures fills the screen. And I'm left wondering about Lewis's transformation. About how coming to see Jesus as the one, the one which we would wrestle with, as one person says, all the days of our lives would transform his very being. And I'm also left to wonder about Freud's transformation, about his complicated relationship with his daughter, about the facing of death and how, at least in the film, it seems to take him to this deeper place of humility than his own passionate skepticism sometimes allowed. And then I wonder what the couch of transformation might stir in us as a people this day. I wonder what you see from atop Mount Hermon with Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the others and where the Lenten journey descending toward the cross might lead. In sketching the artwork for today's worship, Corey created a short time lapse about his own artistic process and expression. And I got to see it last week when he shared it with me. You see the image here in the bottom right in the screen for those that are in the sanctuary. And I got to see it last week, and I was, I was really excited just in visualizing this. And I want to share it with you. On one level, this is just a time lapse of one artist's process. That's all it is. And on a deeper level, I would suggest and hope the couch and the mount that we might experience in this person's process could invite us into glimpse our own interior process. Like what kind of transformation is going on in our own lives? My hope is that our deep curiosity might guide us to 
ever more fully move toward the mystery of God, that we might be transformed, that we might hear God's proclamation of Jesus as God's beloved child, and let that echo in our own bones. And to see the preciousness of who we are and start to see with God's eyes of love. And this is one artist's journey along that way. And I invite you to hold your own as you watch and witness Corey's process. There's so much going on in my head right now. Dude. Interior journey. The wrestling that Jesus invites is to see our neighbors and be interiorly awakened, realizing our own belovedness. Jesus invites all to God's table to enter into our common life, the suffering and the joy, all of it, every bit of it. And often we become disconnected from our unity in Christ, our unity with one another. And so we, every week, as we prepare to come to God's table, which today is in front of the couch, which is very cool. Um, we pause to remind ourselves of that disconnection alongside our longing to be reconnected. So I invite us to stand as we are in body or spirit. And the pausing that we do right now is, the church calls it a prayer of confession, to speak to that moment. So I invite us to pray this together. God of transfiguration, your divine spark is within each of us and within the whole world around us. Yet we don't see you. Forgive us, we pray. hear these words of assurance and they come to us from C.S. Lewis. I am the gentle light, the stars at night, the morning bright. I am the still strong voice. I will hold on to you. My love will set you free. May you know in the depth of your being that God's love sets not only you free, but all of us. May the people say amen. And I invite us to join in the call and response that is the church's practice for recognizing the love of God in each and every neighbor around us. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you.
And I invite you to turn and share a symbol of that peace with those just right around you. In the beginning, when all was chaos, water and earth had yet to take shape, and God, the sculptor, the painter, the creator, touched the swirling mass. God's hand separated earth from water and water from sky, and God touched the earth, and plants turned green, and fruit began to grow ripe. And to celebrate God through holy fireworks in the skies, placing stars in the heavens, God touched the oceans and rivers and ponds, and swimming beings made waves in the water. And God reached to the sky, and things with wings took flight. And God looked upon all of this, all of this, and said, this is good. And when everything was done, God took clay and formed an image of God's own self and breathed into it God's own breath and said, you're the one I've been imagining. You're the one. You and everything around you, my beloved creation, is good. But it wasn't good for long. God's people lost our way and we couldn't find it within ourselves to stay in that place of recognizing and seeing with God's eyes of love. So God reached inside God's own heart and pulled out hope and beauty and compassion and truth and justice and placed it in a form that the people might just recognize. A holy human being named Jesus and God set Jesus on earth to remind us of all that we already are and to call us to love one another. Jesus did all that he could to tell us how much God loves us and to show us how to love one another. But we couldn't accept that and we couldn't agree about it and we became afraid. The principalities and powers lure us to turn against the way made known in the life, ministry, and love of Jesus. And in the end, Jesus was given away by the very ones who thought they loved him best because the challenge was too great for them. But before he was taken, Jesus gathered his friends around a table. And he promised them and promises all of us that he will never leave us alone. 
but will come back and take us home with him. And like those long ago companions, we don't always understand the message Jesus brings to us or what is coming and going and coming again means to us. And we can be grateful and sing the mystery that is our faith. On the night when Jesus gathered his friends together, he took the simple food that was their Passover meal, the bread and the cup, and he blessed them both. And he gave thanks to God and said, I'm sharing this meal with you now so that you can share it together whenever you gather in remembrance of me. us into prayer together with the words Jesus shared with those closest to him so long ago. They have been passed through the ages and named by the church the Lord's Prayer. We invite you to address God in the way that is most dear and true to your heart. Let us pray. Our mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pour your spirit, God, upon these gifts and over each of us gathered in this moment. Make for us these gifts, your body and your love, and make us through them Christ's body alive in the world. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All are welcome at the table of God's love. And when we say all, we mean everyone. If you are gathering with us online, either by yourself or with friends, we encourage you to bring close to you um, your, whatever you're using for your bread and your juice. If you are here with us in the sanctuary, we will be sharing um, bread and juice. In the cup is always uh, grape juice. The bread was baked for us by Sharon Logan over this weekend, and in the center of the platter are gluten-free crackers for us. We will share them here in the front and in the back of the sanctuary, and all around you, we, we call these prayer stations. There are invitation for you to kneel or stand, to take a few moments, to light a candle, and to have either a deep listen or a conversation if you need words with God and your interior being. Yeah. We want you to remember that every week there are new people that have never crossed the threshold of the table before, and so um, this is something different. Every week there are those of us for whom this is a life practice, and most of us are somewhere in between, but we always, always remind you, you can't make a mistake. 
We watch over each other in love here in this room. We are moving. We think of it as God's divine dance here and around and maybe just staying right where you are. Friends, this is the body of Christ and the bread of life broken for you. And the cup of God's healing and forgiveness poured out for the whole world.
encourage those praying with candles to stay for as long as you desire or need in that spirit of prayer. Loving God, for the depth of your mystery revealed to creation in the simple and sacred act of breaking bread at a table where all are welcome, may we be made one by your peace, and may we be called into the world in this moment as expressions of your healing, liberating love, now and always, in the name of Jesus Christ, our hope. Amen. Friends, it is our hope that you will be inspired to take next steps in your own journey, and we want to make just invitations on some of those. We will be here on Wednesday. The Global Christian Church will move into the season of Lent with what we call Ash Wednesday, and we'll do that as we named, as Sarnit named earlier, at 7 a.m. here in the sanctuary. That service will last around 45 or 50 minutes. We know folks have things um, during the day to be to, so we'll be here in this space with beautiful music, with imposition of ashes and communion. That That'll also be online for those that would prefer to join in that way. And then in the evening, we'll be at, simultaneously. This is our first time to do worship in two places at once. Uh, I guess online, we're kind of always in that way. But in two physical places, we'll be down at Table Farm with a simple um, gathering in beautiful space where we'll have imposition of ashes there and communion at 5 p.m. And then we'll also be at Grace Garden, which is on the backside of Davis United Methodist Church. And so we invite you to think about which of those might work best for your own schedule, and we hope you'll be able to be with us as we begin the Linton journey together. We're going to go out this morning with um, a prayer, so I'll invite you to stand in body or in spirit. And first, we will allow the words that come to us from the work of the people. This is called This Transfigured Moment. So I invite you to just receive this as a blessing, and then our musicians will send us in song. In this sacred moment of transfiguration, let us bow our heads and open our hearts to the profound mystery unfolding before us. Beloved, as we gaze upon the radiant light of this transfigured moment, may we be reminded that the divine spark resides within each of us waiting to be unveiled. Just as the veil between the seen and the unseen is lifted, may our own veils of perception and understanding be removed, allowing us to receive and see the interconnectedness of all creation. In this transfigured light, we are called to recognize the divine in every face, in every creature, and in the beauty of the world around us. We are co-creators in this ongoing cosmic dance of creation, evolving toward the fullness of love. So, with hearts aglow and spirits uplifted, may we carry this transfigured light out into the world, 
refracting it with all we meet. May we, like Moses and Elijah, be bearers of wisdom and compassion. And may our lives reflect the love that transfigures all things. As we descend from the sacred mountain, let us do so with grace and purpose knowing that we are forever changed by the encounter with the divine. May the blessings of transfiguration be upon us all, now and forevermore. Amen.
may you go from this space trusting the radiant light that is within and seeing with God's eyes of love that same light refracted in the whole world around you. Go in peace. Amen. In the deep.